Well, I have the distinct pleasure again to bring God's Word to you this morning, and we have been exploring what is the church. And we've been going through this for quite a while now. We've been looking at the church as a body, saying that Christ is our head and we support one another in this unity and diversity. We've talked about how we are a bride and Jesus is our groom who loves us to death and gives us a whole new capacity to love one another. We talked about how we are a nation. We're part of this bigger plan, God's plan, part of this unshakable kingdom. We talked about how we are a family, that God is our father and this status brings us hope, love, and assurance. We've talked about how we are a temple, how God lives in us and among us. We've talked about how we are a flock. Jesus brings us into this growing, diverse fold. Last week, Pastor John talked about how we are Christians. We're this new faith-based community that trusts in the work and person of Jesus Christ. And today, we are going to do the last part of this message. We've been on quite a journey here. Today, we're going to look at the church as lights. So if you're not already there, go ahead and turn to Matthew 5. We're going to look at specifically verses 14 through 16. Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16. And I want to give you some context as we go through here. So Jesus begins his ministry, and he's giving his um, famous Sermon on the Mount. So he goes up to the Mount, and he sits down in typical rabbinic fashion. So rabbis used to sit when they would, te when they would teach. And so his disciples come to him, and he kind of has a mixed group. It's people that are his followers, his disciples, but he also gets some people that are kind of just interested. They're like, this guy says some really interesting things, and I want to know what's going to come out of his mouth next. And so he gathers this huge crowd to him, and he starts to teach. But in the midst of his sermon, it shifts where he specifically addresses his disciples, those that have put their faith in him. And he makes it clear that the church is a visible community of Christ followers that bring God glory. And today, I want to look at how we do that. I want to look at three ways in which the church is to be light. Let us pray and ask God to just bless this time. Father, we come to you right now, and I pray that your spirit would be among us, would illuminate our hearts to the message that you have for us today. We love you, Lord. May you be glorified in this. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as you look at the different types of light that we are called to be, the first thing we're called to be is the church is resplendent light, or marvelous light. We see in verse 14, you are the light of the world. Now, I don't want to miss this. I don't want, you, I want us to miss this. This you is an emphatic you. He's saying, you are the light of the world. Notice what Jesus says. He doesn't say, you are to be a light. He says, you are the light. As Christ's church, being light isn't something that we do, it's something that we are. In whatever context God has placed us in. Further, he goes, he says, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. A town built on a hill cannot be concealed. And it was interesting, uh, when Eric and I were doing our cross-country trip in July from California to Massachusetts, we stopped in the Colorado Rockies. It wasn't one of those planned stops. It was one of those stops where you're like, I'm so tired of driving. We're going to stop here. And we ended up staying a, a couple days in the Colorado Rockies. And I remember at nighttime, we'd go outside of our little hotel room, 
and you could see all of the different towns that were elevated. And you would see the lights, especially in the darkness. You would see all these lights, and it was this resplendent light in the dark of the Rockies. And as Christ's church, we cannot conceal ourselves. There's no such thing as an undercover Christian. Concealing Christ only denies our calling as to be resplendent lights. We are to shine with the resplendent light of Christ. And we do this overtly, unashamedly, and in positions and, positions and places of prominence. Remember, this is a city on a hill. We're not called to shrink back. You know, in our context, we find ourselves in different positions and places of prominence. And we're called to shine the light of Christ in those times. But I don't want to to say this from a pulpit because there's some requirements for that. Being a resplendent light requires boldness. Boldness to confront the issues of our time to the people in our time with the wisdom of God that transcends time. But boldness doesn't grow on trees. Right? We just don't become bold. It's fueled by something. So what is our boldness fueled by? Being a resplendent light is fueled by being in awe of Christ. Just being in awe of Christ and who he is. It's about passion for Christ. It's about burning for Christ. When we think of Christ, it's like, I can't believe it. This is our prophet, our priest, our king. Being a resplendent light requires Christ to be our everything. Let me tell you what the Apostle Paul, how he puts it. I'm going to take a quick excursion here. Now, the Apostle Paul had an impressive um, educational and religious pedigree. And he was a quite an interesting guy. He was the most interesting man in the world in ancient days. All right? He was, he was awesome. But this is what he says about all of his accolades being compared to Christ. In Philippians 3, verses 7, he says, But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul says, listen, all that stuff, who I was, that religious, that educational pedigree, I count it garbage. For the sake of knowing Christ. Because I am in awe of Christ. I have this passion for Christ. And we see in Paul's ministry there was a, a boldness for Christ because of that. But I don't want to work past this. Because it sounds really good coming from a pulpit. Saying, be bold. Because there's consequences for being bold for Christ. We're going to receive different reactions for being bold for Christ, for being in awe of Christ, for Christ being on everything. Some reactions that we're going to get is people are going to scatter. I used to live in the South, and they're, they're, the, bird, the bird in the South, especially like in the Georgia, North Carolina, all that area, is the cockroach. So when you flip on the light, they scatter everywhere, okay? They see light, they, they're gone. And some people, when we're bold for Christ, when we are resplendent light, they're going to scatter. It's going to be too much for them. Some are going to be offended no matter what we say, no matter how much we love them. 
Think about it. You ever walked in on somebody when they've been sleeping and you, you turn on the lights? And they're like, ah, the light, the light. It doesn't matter what you say. You can say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. They're like, just get out, get out of here. No. Some will have that reaction to us. I thought it was interesting. I realized in the summertime here in Massachusetts, if you turn a light on at night, it attracts mosquitoes. If you're sitting around that, that light, you walk away with mosquito bites all over you. And for some of us, we will attract people that their only purpose will be to harm us. They'll be attracted to us, but they're attracted to us just to harm us. And Christ warns us of, of this. He says, hey, I, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna promise you one thing in this world. That's persecution. Sound good? No, but that's what he promises us. He says that's gonna happen. But yet, here's the thing. Some, God are gonna attract to this resplendent light, and they're gonna be transformed. And some of us have been transformed by Christ. We're sitting in this very room. The fact is, is people are lonely, and they're confused, and they need truth. They need light. They need the light of Jesus Christ. Now, some of you might be sitting here going, okay, so I'm not supposed to be concealed. I'm supposed to be overtly open for Christ. So does that mean I'm supposed to be like a separatist? Like, no, we're not supposed to build our own little wall and compound and have our own little life. We are called to be in the world, but not of the world, burning with the passion for Christ. God has placed us for this exact moment, in this exact place, for this exact time, for the purposes of Jesus Christ. And here's the thing. We burn with the passions for the things that we love the most. I've heard so many people burn with a passion for the New England Patriots, especially Tom Brady, since I've been in New England. Like, Tom Brady's the best, he's great. And there's this passion there. And some of you are hoping right now that I just keep talking about Tom Brady. I know, that's what you're thinking. <laughs> it's not gonna happen. There's a passion there. We're called to have the passion for Jesus Christ. We're called to burn with passion for Jesus Christ, be a resplendent light to Christ. So I have to ask you, how bright do you burn for Christ? How bright do you burn? So that's the first thing. The second thing is the church is to be reflective lights. Now, reflective light is a result of rays of light that reflect off of a surface. For example, um, a few years ago, the family, Erica and I took the family when the kids were younger to Yosemite, and there's all these lakes, and there's just this great reflection of, of one of the prominent terrain features in Yosemite, and it was like a perfect image. But that reflection is hindered if there's any sort of blockages, if there's any sort of visual hindrances. And as light, as the source of light for the world, we're called to depend on the light, Jesus Christ, spoken through the witness of the Bible that is supernaturally illuminated to us by the Holy Spirit. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say this. If we don't get the Bible right, we cannot reflect Christ accurately. Verse 15. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. So let me give you some context here. So they would have the house, and the house would be super dark, and you would light a lamp, and the lamp would light up the room. And so Jesus is saying, how 
It makes no sense to light the lamp up, light the room up, and then put a bowl on top of it. That makes no sense. And as Christ's reflective light, we're called to be biblically transparent. We're called to reflect the truth of Scripture without any hindrances or reservations. And we're, we're called to present this in a simple, accurate, and very culturally clear way. We have to get the Bible right. We have to be transparent with what the Scripture says. I mean, this is the way the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5. He says, listen, this is how he speaks to the Corinthians. Listen, Corinthians, I didn't come to you with any eloquent speech. I just came and preached Christ crucified. That's it. Very simple words. He says that's what we're called to do. Continuing on verse 15, he says, instead, put it on a stand. So you light the lamp, you put it on a stand. It stands firm. It, it permeates every aspect of the house. And as Christ's reflective light, we're called to be biblically solid. We're not to refract Scripture. There's a difference between refraction and reflection. Reflection is a representation, a, 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 a perfect representation of what it says. Refracting is taking something and bending it. And we're not called to bend Scripture, we're just called to reflect it. Reflect the light of Scripture. And we're not called to make excuses about it or make apologies about it. We're called to stand firm in its authority, its veracity, its sufficiency. This is a huge thing. If we get the Bible wrong, we get Christ wrong, we cannot reflect Him perfectly. Further, it says, and it gives light to everyone in the house. When the truth is in a very prominent place, it's able to permeate every aspect of darkness. And as Christ's reflective light, we must be biblically agile. As people come um, in, in the face of light, in the face of biblical truth, they're going to have questions. Some of you are sitting in here. You just didn't say, okay, I believe. I have no questions, right? You had questions. And you asked the questions. The people answered those questions. And we're called to answer questions. We're called to be agile, be prepared to answer those questions. People are looking for answers, and we need to give them the good answers, the good answers that are in Scripture. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You've got to remember when we engage people with Scripture... We're not trying to win the argument. We're trying to win the purpose, a person, and just give, give them the truth of the gospel. And here's the thing. I really wrestled with this a little bit. Because a lot of, there's a lot of people out there that are like, you need to be very culturally relevant, and the church needs to go in this direction, and you need to do this, and you need to do that. And, and I get that. I really do. You need to reach the new generation, the millennial generation. They won't get this. But here's what I found. Just... People want answers. They want, they're tired of the advertisements. People are bombarded with advertisements. They do not want advertisements from church. They expect something different from church. They expect the answers, the answers for life. That's what we're called to give, is answers, God's word, truth. And here's the thing. You only reflect what your heart consumes. You only reflect what your heart consumes. Eric and I have a loved one that's, a couple months ago, 
their, their, their attitude just kind of changed. They started to become very fearful and anxious. And we were like, what's going on here? Like, they're totally like, the personality is changing. This is a person who's very jovial and has an optimistic uh, view normally, but now they become very pessimistic. And as we started digging deep into our loved one, we realized they were consuming um, particular news feeds, like pseudo news feeds from, on Facebook that were just totally like fear-mongering type of things. And that changed who they were. That's what they were consuming, and that's what they reflected. So i got to ask you, what are you consuming right now? If you were to look throughout your day, what are you consuming? Are you consuming media? Are you consuming all of these things? Or are you consuming God's Word? What are you reflecting right now? Well, that's the second thing. The third thing. The church is a radiant light. The church is a radiant light. In 2004, I was going through my amphibious reconnaissance training in Coronado Island in San Diego. Now, has anyone ever been to Coronado? It's absolutely beautiful. But when you go there for training, it's like the island of horrors. Because <laughs> you know bad things are going to happen to you. And I was going through my amphibious reconnaissance training, and we had this, this night, which they affectionately call Wetsuit Appreciation Night. Yeah, it was fun. So they go and they toss you out in the middle of the Pacific Ocean in the middle of the night with no wetsuits and some fins. It's about 52 degrees in the water. And you're supposed to do some sort of amphibious reconnaissance stuff. And you're sitting there and you, like your mind plays tricks on you. One, you're freezing. You're with a bunch of buddies. Everyone doesn't want to, like, everyone was scared, but they didn't want to say they were scared. All right, and you're cold, and you swear you feel like sharks and stuff touching you. It's just, it's a really weird thing. But you look on the, on, on the beach, and you see that, that the instructors will start a fire. They start this big beach bonfire, and you're attracted to it. And when you come out of the water, you're freezing, and you go up to the, you know, I remember going up to the, the, the fire, and just looking at the fire, there was this positive, like, psychological effect that it had. But then the radiant heat that the light you know, came off, it, it was like this warmth. It provided this positive psychological effect. It provided warmth, energy. And radiant light that produces radiant heat actively transfers its properties to anything within its sphere of influence. Verse 16, continue. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. As Christ's radiant light, we are to actively and positively affect the psyche of those within our sphere of influence with the warmth and the energy of the gospel. We're called to not only proclaim the gospel, we're called to be the gospel. When people are in our presence, they should feel differently. They should feel the warmth of Christ. Here's the thing. Our culture doesn't need reconstruction, it needs reconciliation. And that starts with the gospel. As Christ's community, his visible community, we've been entrusted and commissioned for this very purpose. Mark 16, 15, this is Christ. He says, go into the world and preach the gospel to all creation. The gospel. The gospel that says, God created the world. And it was good. No, it wasn't just good. It was very good. But sin entered in the world. And there was a chasm that entered between us 
and God, and we had a problem. We had a sin problem. Yet God, by His grace, sent His Son, very God Himself, the King of the universe, clothed in human flesh, lived a perfect life, died, was nailed to a cross, but resurrected three days later. And when we put our faith and trust in what He has done, we are resurrected. We are no, no longer destined for e eternal hell. We're destined for eternal heaven with Him. But that's not it. There's more. God is in this renewal stage. He's renewing the earth until He comes back. And we have a hand in that renewal right now. And that starts with the gospel. Proclaiming the gospel, being the gospel. Now, maybe some of you are sitting and you're saying, Brian, I really don't think I really need to say anything. I mean, listen, I volunteer. I, I volunteer at these ministries. I do my service. People know it. And I would disagree. I don't think people know it. And I say this with the utmost affection. Have you forgotten how good the gospel is? Have you forgotten how good the gospel is? I mean... I just think about who I am apart from Christ. And the very God himself stepped down from heaven to redeem me. I know me. And God wants to be reconciled with me. I think we're downplaying the power of the gospel. You realize the power of the gospel has transformed people. Some of you are sitting in this room. You're transformed because of the gospel. It's transformed towns. It's transformed cities. It's transformed civilizations. And that's the power that we have that God has entrusted to us by the power of his spirit for the glory of his name. And maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, well, why should I say anything? What's the purpose? Well, look at verse 16 again. It says, glorify your father in heaven. It's to bring glory to God. That's our purpose. We're called to bring glory to God. There's a quote that says, He who has a why to live for can bear almost any how. Do you know who said that? Frederick Nietzsche said that. This is our purpose. purpose. Our how, our why is to glorify God. And God empowers our how. So I have to ask you, how hot do you burn with a passion to make the gospel known and to see God glorified? How hot do you burn with that? That's our purpose. I'm going to encourage you. We just came off of Thanksgiving, and I'm sure we had some really good conversations with folks at our Thanksgiving table. But we're going to have some more opportunities during this holiday season. I'm going to encourage you. Be like this holiday season. Just explain the reason for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. People are asking you. It's a natural conversation. I mean, we're celebrating Christmas. It's about Christ. We have a perfect opportunity, so I want to encourage you in that. I also want to encourage us as a church. I want to encourage us to shine in this valley, this Merrimack Valley. I just want you to imagine... What would happen if we really took this seriously? 
I mean, really, if we took this seriously, if we said, we are going to be light, we're going to proclaim the gospel, we're going to be the gospel, and we're going to do it together as a church family, there would be transformation on an unexplainable scale for the gospel in this valley. Let us burn. Let us burn for Christ. Not to make us famous, but to make him famous. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for... We just thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. I pray as we go from here that you would empower us to be light. You would give us boldness. That we would take this mandate seriously because you have taken it seriously. We love you, Lord. We just want to see you famous. We want to see you glorified. We want to see people come to know you. We want to see change, and we want to see transformation. And I pray that your gospel would be made known to everyone. It would be radiant light. May people feel the difference when we're around. May they be warmed by the glow that is only possible by the gospel, by your spirit. So we love you, Lord. We ask you be with us in this endeavor. In Jesus' name.